You know, I don't know how accurate this is, but I think that's one of my favorite praise songs, at least this morning. I'm Pastor Tim, the executive pastor here at Grace Community Church. Um, I am really grateful to be here this morning. You know, a lot of our staff is away, so I have the opportunity to preach and bring the word to you this morning. Um, and I really enjoy doing that. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving day. You know, once again, the holiday season has rolled around. Can you believe it? Where'd the year go? How many times do we have to say that? It happens all the time, doesn't it? You know, I saw Christmas decorations going up. Just for the record, I think it's wrong. I saw Christmas decorations going up kind of mid to late September maybe, maybe even earlier. And I saw them going up with Halloween decorations. I heard my first Christmas song weeks ago. I'm a fan of Christmas, by the way. I just think there's timing issues. Children are likely already starting to make requests for Christmas. Parents are probably wondering how they're going to pay for it all. Have you noticed, by the way, I've noticed it, and I bet you have as well, have you noticed that we kind of go straight from Halloween to Christmas? And it's like Thanksgiving is just an afterthought. Is it possible that we're losing Thanksgiving because it's just not the popular thing to do anymore? You know, we're people that want to get. At Halloween, we get candy. At Christmas, we get presents. Both are very marketable, but with thanksgiving, we give, and we give thanks. So the question I would ask this morning, what happened to thanksgiving? I think when most people hear the word thanksgiving, they think of Thanksgiving Day, the national holiday that we just observed. We know it's a day that was originally... Um, it was originated as a day to give thanks for the blessing of the previous year's harvest. We know that Abraham Lincoln was the first to make it an official holiday. Pastor John taught us that last week. But these days, Thanksgiving is, I, I think, kind of like a preseason holiday. We eat, we sleep, we watch football, we don't stop until January. Thanksgiving is something we do to get in shape for Christmas, and I think that's a shame. Because I think Thanksgiving is one thing that separates us from the animal kingdom. Somebody said, happy is the man who understands that all of life is a gift from God, and that life itself is the ultimate gift. Which is why I believe the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Certainly, Thanksgiving, though, is much more than just a holiday, a day. It's an expression that we use. Thanksgiving, the giving of thanks. Thank you. Thanks. I'm grateful. Thank you very much. But it is much more than just an expression as well. Especially for us as believers, thanksgiving is a lifestyle. Gratitude, contentment, thanksgiving comes from our Lord. 
Literally throughout Scripture, there are hundreds and hundreds of Scriptures talking about thanksgiving and thankfulness. I would cite just a few to read to you. Psalm 717, I will give to the Lord the thanks due His name, due His righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. Psalm 75.1 says, We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. And it's not just in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I would offer Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, songs with thanksgiving, in your hearts to God. Thanksgiving is different for believers than it is for those in the world. Thankfulness from a worldly perspective is often rooted in what we have or what we want. And it's a very subtle difference. But in the Scriptures, thanksgiving is always rooted in what God has given us. It always recognizes that He has given us all we need. So again, I would ask the question, what happened to Thanksgiving? You see, I, I don't think we've just lost or maybe are losing the holiday. I think we are losing thankfulness in our culture. And we come by it naturally, you know that? We do. We come by it naturally from the beginning of creation. When the first creatures came from the hand of God, there has always been someone somewhere unhappy with their position in the universe. It all started even before the creation of mankind, an angel called Lucifer, who was referred to as the brightest star of the heavenly host. And he wasn't satisfied with his position as the greatest of all created beings. He wasn't thankful to have what God gave him. He wanted to be God. And he was punished for that and cast out of heaven with the angels that followed him. But then enter the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. They were given all that they needed for life, and yet they weren't thankful for that. They wanted more. They wanted to be God as well. They fell for the lie that God was withholding something from them. And so they weren't thankful for what they had. But enter you and me. We are much like those first created beings. We are just like the first man and the woman. If we're young, we want to be older. If we're old, we wish we were younger. If it's old, we want something new. If it's new, we want something newer. If we have an apartment, we want a condo. If we have a condo, we want a house. If we have a house, we want a bigger house or a newer house, or a nicer house. Or maybe we get to the point where we want to scale down and we want to go back to an apartment again. If we're single, we dream of of being married. If we're married. (laughs) What I'm saying is none of this is unusual in any way. We were born discontented. We were born unthankful. The problem is some of us stay that way. I think the key to thankfulness is to never forget what God has given us. I think it's a lifestyle of evaluation. 
And this morning, I want to give you some things to help you to evaluate and maybe think. You'd open your Bibles to Psalm 131. While you're opening there, let me tell you a little bit about this little short psalm. You will see at the top of the psalm, it says, a song of ascent. It's part of a group of psalms that were sung by the Hebrew pilgrims as they made their way to the city of Jerusalem for one of the annual festivals. All but one of these songs of ascent were fairly short and would be easy to sing. The purpose of them was to prepare people's hearts for worship. They are, like, they are much like the choruses we sing in church. Today we're going to look at one of the psalms. It's only three verses long. Charles Spurgeon about this psalm said, it's one of the shortest to read, but one of the longest to learn. Psalm 131, 1 to 3, I'll be reading it out of the ESV version. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my spirit. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. In a moment, I'm going to share with you three qualities that promote thankfulness or thanksgiving from this psalm. But before I do that, I want to go away from it for just a moment, and I want to share with you some qualities that I see that promote the opposite of that. Five qualities that pr promote thanklessness. And I give them to you just to evaluate. The first one, the first quality that promotes thanklessness is envy. Envy. A simple definition would be the inability to rejoice at the success of others. Another definition would be a painful or resentful awareness of another's advantage joined with the desire to possess that same advantage. People who envy have a tendency to say it's not fair because they want what someone else has. They aren't thankful for what they have because they want more. It's something that's very easy to fall into the trap of. Recently, I sold my home. We raised our daughters in that home. It was a little home. Two bedrooms and one bath. It didn't have central air. And when I sold it recently and moved out, the last time I left that home, I sat in my car and cried because I remembered all the wonderful things that had happened in that home. And I was thankful that God had given us that home. But see, when you're always wanting for something more, I remember times that I would go to other people's homes and I would be in their homes and I would think in my head, Lord, why can't, can I have, couldn't we have a home like that? And see, when that would hit my mind, I wasn't thankful for the home we had. Envy causes us to not be thankful. It is envy that caused the brothers of Joseph to sell him into slavery in Egypt. It is envy that is the opposite of what the Lord wants for us as believers. 1 Corinthians 13.4 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. People who are caught up in envy are not thankful. They are thankless. The second 
quality that promotes thanklessness is ambition. The desire to win at all costs, no matter what it takes or who gets trampled in the process. I had the sermon done and I had the, and the notes were already printed and I really wanted to take this one out because there is a part of ambition that is good. It is good. Some ambition is good. It is ambition that causes us to want to go out and share the kingdom with the world. But the ambition that I'm talking about that creates thanklessness is what I would call selfish ambition. There are losers in life, folks. Losing is a part of life. We see it in athletics and competitions and academics. But if we lose, why can't we be thankful for the opportunity to compete? Or should I say, why can't we be thankful for the opportunity to live? You know the phrase, it is not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game that counts. Of course, that great theologian, Martina Navratilova, disagrees with that statement. She was at once the top women's tennis player in the world. She said, whoever said it's not whether you win or lose that counts probably lost. And see, that kind of ambition, that which says I'm going to go over anybody and everybody to get what I want does not create thankfulness. It creates thanklessness. It's the opposite of what the Lord wants for us in Philippians 2.3. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourself. The third quality, and actually the third, fourth, and fifth quality kind of all run together. The third quality is criticism. The tendency to make negative, hurtful, cutting remarks about others. Critical people are not thankful for what they have because they're always criticizing other people. Matthew 7, 1 to 3 says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? I want to I clear up what I think is a theological mistake. People will often say, the Bible says do not judge, so don't judge. That is not what the Bible says. What the Bible is saying here, you have to make judgments. But what it's saying is don't judge in a wrong way. And judging in a wrong way is when we judge people by standards, we don't want to be judged by ourselves. And that's where complaining comes in. We need not, or criticism I should say, we need not be criti critical people because that does not promote thanksgiving, it, pr it promotes thanklessness. The fourth one I mistakenly just said is complaining. Complaining. The disposition to make excuses and to blame others or bad circumstances for our problems. A refusal to take personal responsibility. It is an inability to be thankful for what we already have. It is contrary to the Word of God, by the way. People who complain are complaining about what they don't have rather than being thankful for what they do have. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining or arguing. How would the kingdom of God be different if God's people would stop complaining and be thankful for what God has given them? The fifth quality is anger. Anger. Angry words spoken because our expectations are not met. That's that 
says it right there. Angry people are not thankful because they're being angry about something they think they need to have. It's contrary to the scriptures. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Someone once said the, dis- the discontented or thankless person looks around and says, I deserve something better than this. Because he is never happy and never satisfied, he drags others into the swamp with him. Benjamin Franklin said, contentment or thankfulness makes a poor man rich. Discontentment or thanklessness makes a rich man poor. These qualities promote thanklessness, not thankfulness. But David in this little psalm gives us, I'm going to point out three things that promote thankfulness. And it's one in each verse. The first one is humility. Humility. Freedom from pride or arrogance. Freedom from pride or arrogance. Psalm 131.1, David says this, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. If you have the NIV version, you would read it as, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. He says, my heart is not lifted up. And as I said, some versions say, my heart is not proud. That can sound odd to us. Like David is bragging about his humility. He's not, by the way, and I'm going to point that out to you in a minute. But let's just talk about humility for a moment. It's difficult to talk about humility. How does one know if they even have it? If you're truly humble, how would you ever know it? Someone once said that humility is the virtue, which when you think you have it, you've lost it. And let's be honest. Humility isn't something that's valued in our society. The moment we enter the world, we are urged to get ahead, to climb the ladder, to look out for number one, to win. We prove our success by the cars we drive, by the home we have, by the clothes we wear, by the friends we keep. Oh, all those things are not bad in and of themselves. But when they become a symbol of status, that's where they become so dangerous. It makes us want more, need more, and desire more. It eats us alive to the point that we live in a constant state of thanklessness for the things we have because we are always wanting more. So what is David talking about when he says, hey, I'm proud? I mean, that's kind of what he says. How can he even say that? I do want to point out that the Hebrew word is translated in different versions because they're very synonymous terms. The Hebrew word for high is also the Hebrew word that can be translated as proud. High high is... um, is used of high trees, high mountains, to describe King Saul, who stood higher than everyone else. And of course, it is used of our God, who is said to be on high. 
He is high above everything and everyone else. You might know the Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord, neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So David was not bragging about his humility. You can see it especially if you look at the second half of the verse. What he was trying to describe was his limitations in relation to God who is on high. Notice he says, after saying, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high, he goes on and he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. In the New Living Translation, I think they really grasp the idea. It says, Lord, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty, I don't concern concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. David is saying there are things in the universe that are far beyond our meager ability to understand. He's saying, I don't worry about those things and I don't try to figure those things out. I don't try to elevate myself above God and other people. Humility in this context means that you and I don't run the world or the church or other people. You and I don't have all the answers. Humility, that that quality knows its limits. And when it comes right down to it, we must admit that we are limited, but God is not. Someone once said, happy is the man who knows his limits and within those limits does the very best that he can. Someone who is humble and knows their place is a thankful person because they are aware of God who gives them so much. The second quality is what I will call innocence. Innocence. Now, not innocence as in the opposite of guilty. Innocence in the sense of, in the, sense of the quality of being simple and sincere. When the first man and woman were created and before sin came into the garden, God talked about You know, he created the the man and the woman. He put them together in the marriage relationship. And he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And then it goes on, and it says what we often miss. And the man and his wife were both naked and were unashamed. They were innocent. I think the best way to see this type of innocence is in in a young child who has not yet been corrupted by the world. Oh, they are sinners for sure, but they have this innocent, innocent trust. David, in Psalm 131, 2, after saying in verse 1, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, in verse 2, brings out this idea of innocence when he says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother like a weaned child is my soul within. He's using the word picture, the analogy of breastfeeding. David now uses that picture. 
And when a baby is born, we all understand it. When a baby is born, it is completely dependent on its mom. The baby doesn't need much, frankly, and frankly doesn't want for much. The baby cries and the mom knows what it needs. The baby is comforted and fed by the breast of his mother. But the day comes when the baby really needs more. It should be noted that the baby doesn't know that it needs something more. Something more satisfying than what's more satisfying than what it wants. The baby fights, cries, rebels against mom. Mom probably struggles more than her child because she wants him to be happy and satisfied. But mom stays the course to care for the child. Whether a boy or girl, mom strives to give them what they need, not what they think they want, for they would be now malnourished if she gave them what they wanted. To be weaned is to have something removed from your life so that you can... To be weaned is to have something removed from your life that you thought you couldn't live without. David is saying, I have come to the place like a baby where the things I thought I had to have, I don't need anymore. And as a result, my soul is quiet and comforted. It's the opposite of how the world lives. We have lost our innocence and we have been corrupted by the world. We figure that our contentment comes on the basis of how many of our needs are met. By this standard, one will never be content. There's a lot of discontented, unthankful people in the world. One will never be thankful if they work that way. They will never have enough. Oh, they might want a new car, a new job, a new dress, a new husband, a new wife. But it won't be enough. What David is saying is we need to be like a newborn, innocent baby. We need to trust the Lord for what we need not constantly going after all the things we want. We don't want to be like the billionaire who was asked when he would stop working. And his answer was, when I make enough money. Then the second question was, when will you have enough money? When I have just one more dollar. He's never going to be content. Like a newborn, innocent baby, we need to trust the Lord for what we need, not constantly going after the things we think we want or that we think we need. It is no wonder we are not satisfied in this world. Instead of being weaned from the world, we are wedded to it. A baby is innocent. Life is so simple. David is saying we need to simplify our lives, get back to the innocence of a child, and be thankful for what you have been given by the Lord. And stop working so hard to have the things of this world, for the things of this world will pass away. The third quality that I see that promotes thankfulness in this verse is trust. Is trust. A firm belief in the integrity, ability, or effectiveness of someone or something. We all know Proverbs, or most of us know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Have you ever thought why the Bible tells us to trust in the Lord? Because He is trustworthy. It's that simple. David puts it this way after talking about 
not concerning himself with things too high or lofty for him, after talking about being weaned by a baby, I mean, as a baby, he goes on and he says in verse 3, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. The word for hope in the Hebrew means to wait, and it carries with it this idea of waiting expectantly. It's very similar to the word that we would use that would be confidence. To wait on something because you know, to, to wait on something because you know the thing you are waiting for will happen because the person you are waiting on is trustworthy. The thought is this, folks, is that we have choice. We can live like everyone else going after all those things that will not satisfy, or we can stop and choose to trust the Lord and to wait on the Lord. Once a child is weaned, I find it fascinating. The child comes to rest on his mother's lap, not because he wants something from her, but because he just wants to be near to his mother. In the same way, God weans us from our dependence on the things of the world so that we will not be bribed into trusting him. Now, that may not make sense to you, but let me say it another way. What good is it to trust in the Lord if we have everything? What good is it to trust in the Lord if we have a mate, a house, a job, a happy home, a secure future, or a good health? Oh, we should still trust for sure. But if we have everything, we don't need the Lord so often. That's the attitude we jump into. Never forget that the Bible says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of, of God. And it's not saying that it's bad to have money. It's saying that if we put our, we, we, when people have everything they need, they, 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 they tend to not trust in the Lord. And so what happens to people like that when they lose their mate or they lose their job or they lose their home? What will they do when life tumbles in? Then what? I have found that it is in these times that one is most, most tempted to trust the Lord or not. I have found in these times that we are most apt to evaluate and realize that we have much to be thankful for or not. I don't think we should wait for those times. We ought to be thankful now. But I have found it is in these times that we have a chance to realize that being thankful isn't only a great quality of life and a godly virtue. It is the most comforting and encouraging thing one, one can do. When we give thanks, especially in hard times, for what we have been given rather than for what we want or have we are, at mo we are most at peace and comforted by our Lord. Corey prayed for Jason and Britton Neese in his prayer. I've had the opportunity to interact just a little bit with Jason via, via text. Um, and he has asked some questions. I have found those questions hard to answer, even though um, I had some, I think he's probably asked me some of those questions because I went through what he is now going through right now. Britain is likely in her last days, unless the Lord works a miracle. And I found it hard to answer his questions, but at one point I said this, which you might think is just the Christian thing to say, but it is really true. I said, Jay, I don't have all the answers. I would encourage you to rest in the Lord and find your comfort in Him. So I continue to say, what, what's happened to Thanksgiving? Where has it gone, folks? Have we lost it? 
Have we got so caught up in the world's way of wanting more? Have we forgotten how much we already have? I found a letter on the internet. It was a letter that I could really, <clears throat> I could really relate to. It's a letter written by a lady after her husband had died and she had had two tumor operations shortly after. It's titled A Letter to Jesus because she says, Dear Jesus, I've written a lot of thank yous lately, but this is my first one to you. Until now, I didn't appreciate your gifts to me these past months. Thank you for taking Dawn home to be with you. Now I'll never be concerned with what the future holds for him. His days are guaranteed. Thank you for giving him such a wonderful Christmas. Thank you for giving him, making his birthday his best ever. Thank you for showing me the way you could use his death in my life. I wasn't always sure how to approach others with the gospel, but now you have given me so many openings, I can hardly handle them all. Thank you for my most recent surgeries and for the lessons it taught me, especially for showing me how much I needed you. Thanks for letting me see what it is like to face surgery and suffering without you as I watch the difference in the lives of my roommates. <clears throat> Thank you for the lessons you taught my daughters and what they have learned from this. I could never have taught them the way you did. That's because of the great teacher you are. You know, Jesus, I wouldn't have planned my life this way. In fact, I would have planned it just the opposite. I would have sought to avoid death's knock. I would have ducked out on the surgeries and tried to pretend that Christians were kept well by you all the time. But I would have missed out on so much. The kids are sorry they couldn't be with their daddy on Father's Day but we were glad he could be with his earthly and heavenly father this year. Oh, I could go on with this letter, but I could never cover everything I have to be thankful for. So I'll send more, but for now, please accept this as a beginning. Gratefully yours, Lois. If you focus on what you don't have, you will struggle to be contented and thankful. But if you will focus on what God has given you, you will be thankful and life will make sense and be complete. When I was a kid, I grew up and uh, my mom took us to a, an Episcopal church. I wasn't a believer. But I remember we sang a song. We sang a song every week during the offering. It's called the doxology. I admit that I only sang it out of duty. I didn't realize that it was a hymn to keep us aware of all that we have. I didn't realize that it was a hymn to keep us aware of the fact that all we have comes from God and He is good and a giving God. It's only four verses. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, 
and Holy Ghost. Amen. There is so much more that I could say, but I think on this day, it would be good for us to sing the doxology together. I've asked Wayne to come and lead us because I am a preacher, not a singer. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and these will be our, this will be our closing benediction. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy